Angie will come now to uh, do our reading. The reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 3. The Fall. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from him. The Lord God among the trees of the garden. Oh, sorry. Yes, that's right. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of all the you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, 
since from there you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Angie. Um, We're just going to take a moment to pray for Paul before he speaks to us. Lord God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for the words that you have been preparing in him this week. I pray that those words would not stumble, but would fall upon good soil here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Cathy. Well, I'm going to start with um, a bit of a confession. I'm going to bear my soul this morning, a bit of a confession. Uh, let you into a bit of a dark, dark secret. I hope it won't affect your, um, your view of me too much. Um, it's about what I get up to on a, on a Thursday evening, um, just before my usual day off. Um, I must admit, I'm a bit embarrassed to tell you this, but um, just don't tell anyone, especially if you're watching at home. Just before nine o'clock um, on a Thursday evening, I pour myself a small, reasonably small glass of, of red wine, or I might put the kettle on for a cup of tea, um, close the living room door, uh, make sure the curtains are, are fully drawn, and um, settle down in front of the TV to watch The Apprentice. Um, uh, and if I'm, if I'm not at home on, is there a slide yet? If I'm not at home on Thursday evening at nine o'clock, you can be pretty sure within the next couple of days, I'll be loading up iPlayer to ensure that uh, I catch up with the latest episode. And um, further confession, I've, I've been doing this for several series now. Uh, not right from the start, I believe it's series 11, but certainly the last three or four. And uh, I think I'm beginning to develop a bit of an addiction and might need weaning off it. Um, I don't know if, uh, I doubt anyone else watches it. Does anyone else here watch The Apprentice? It's uh, five or six willing to admit. Oh, well, yeah, there's one or two in the balcony as well. Just a, a, a... So, yeah, anyway, I uh, hope I haven't gone t- down too far in your estimation uh, with that uh, confession. Um, some of you, it seems, have been protected from, uh, from watching this, um, so you may not even know what it's about. Um, the Apprentice, you've got 15 typically young men or women who've been reasonably successful in business, and uh, the idea is that they've got to try to prove to Lord Alan Sugar that they have what it takes to become his business partner. 
And um, each week, at least one of them gets fired. And Alan Sugar takes great delight in pointing a finger and going, you're fired. Um, and we, leave, uh, we see them then leaving um, Alan Sugar's offices in a, in a taxi. And um, they then explain to the world why Lord Sugar is um, missing out. Because they are the best thing since sliced bread. And the nature of the show has each uh, candidate trying to prove themselves and trying to impress the boss. And mostly they actually make fools of themselves. So on display is, is plenty of human pride and selfishness and arrogance and greed. And with clever editing, the producers of a program have chosen to portray lives where everything revolves around the individual and success is an idol to be pursued at all costs. Much of what we watch on TV makes a play on human weakness and self-absorption. It's true in, in the soaps that we might watch, for instance, and so many other programs. Virtually every news report, whether it's online, whether it's in print, or whether it's on our screens, focuses on human frailty and the effects of human sinfulness. We see that so much at the moment, don't we, with the images coming out of Ukraine and the countries nearby. The world is not how it was meant to be. Last week, Aidan helpfully reminded us of our place in God's creation and the way in which we were created in God's image to live, to honour and worship him. Well, this week, we move on to focus on our failure to live up to that image, a failure that's highlighted again and again and again as we journey through Scripture, a failure that punches us in the face with great frequency. Let's remind ourselves of the model we've been introduced to from Pete Gregg's book. It's a model of creation and decreation and recreation. The slide will appear in a few moments. <laughs> there we go. If Genesis 1 and 2 presents us with a wonderful picture of a creator God at work, Genesis 3 brings us straight back down to earth. Human beings created in God's likeness, made to enjoy his blessing and mirror his image to the world, quickly come unstuck. Blessed with the immense privilege of enjoying all that God has created and walking with God himself in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve choose to break the one rule that God has put in place. Do not eat from the tree. There were so many trees they could eat from, but humanity, blessed with the freedom to make their own decisions, weren't strong enough or wise enough to resist this tiny restriction. And so sin enters the world and humanity's relationship with God is broken. And we've been living with the consequences of that ever since. Another model we're using throughout this series is this one. God's being inspires God's doing, which inspires our being, which informs our doing. You see, the mission of God centres on his character, which fully informs what he does in and for our world. 
And God's doing transforms our being, which leads us into action. But there's a problem, isn't there, towards the end of the chain? Because our doing so often doesn't reflect God's being. We're made in God's image, but sin has marred God's image in us. I think the problem actually is often a step further back in the chain because it's as we fail to appreciate who we are under God, our being, that we live life in a way that fails to reflect God's nature. And in our fallen humanity, we let other things and other priorities mar the image of God in us. Martin Luther once described sin as a life turned in on itself. A life where everything revolves around us. The characterization on The Apprentice and so many other TV programs is but a tiny example. The serpent in Genesis 3 poses the question, did God really say you must not? And we so easily succumb to temptation. And other things become idols ahead of our creator. That's summed up really well, I think, in this quote from Pete Gregg's, uh, Pete Hughes's book. In worshipping another, we give away an identity that was meant to be ours and receive an identity that we should never own. In worshipping money, we allow our wealth or lack thereof to define our identity and levels of happiness. In worshipping success, we define ourselves by our achievements. In worshipping sex, we begin to define ourselves by how much we are or aren't getting. All of these are tried and tested ways of guaranteeing a broken heart. You see, God's image is distorted in us, and we move from the worship of the creator to the worship of the created. And this is a recurring pattern reflected through the whole of Scripture and indeed through the whole of human history. God and humanity at one, followed by human rebellion where people choose to go their own way, and then a calling back to Him. Creation, decreation, recreation. And we'll see more of that pattern over the next couple of weeks as we delve deeper into the Old Testament narrative. And this constant state of decreation, this constant state of rebellion against God and failure to live up to his call could easily lead us to a place of abject despair and hopelessness. But in our communion service today, we celebrate once again the way in which this destructive cycle has been dealt with. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 reads, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The gift of God's Son, crucified on the cross for us. This is the image on the front cover of Time magazine this week. Ukrainian flag 
and across it in Ukrainian are words spoken by Volodymyr Zelensky. Life will win over death and light will win over darkness. That is our heartfelt prayer for the Ukrainian situation. And actually, that is the overall witness of Scripture. Life will win over death, and light will win over darkness. But we have to remember, don't we, that ultimately none of this will be achieved through human effort alone. It is only by God's grace that our broken decreated relationship with God is restored and it's only by his grace that creation will be fully renewed. Each week as we've been going through this series we've had uh, we've said a little challenge and the first couple of weeks it was to do with reading one of the gospels. Uh, last week had more of an environmental focus and uh, little acts as we move into Lent which value God's creation This week, just a simple ask, that as we come to God in our own times of reflection and prayer and reading of scripture, that we take time and make space for repentance, that we actually acknowledge each day our weakness before God. We reflect on ways in which our priorities might not reflect God's priorities and that we might actually squeeze him out. And just take a few moments to reflect and repent and ask for God's transforming work in your life. And it may be a good passage to do that with would be Psalm 51 in, uh, in the Old Testament. It's a psalm where David is reflecting in his own weakness and he cries out to God. So just using perhaps some of the verses from Psalm 51 as a means of coming before God, acknowledging our own weakness and committing to live his way. Amen.